Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. All right, guys. In this little thing we call democracy, we have this other thing called citizen power. We just need to know how to use it, to be perfectly honest. A little TBH. Yet, if you feel fed up or confused by the U.S. government, you are seriously not alone. Most voters feel powerless, especially when lobbyists and special interest groups seem to control the levers of government more so than the people. But your voice and your vote matter. So when you understand how the government actually works, you can have a surprising amount of influence. Makes sense, right? So we have the thing for you to make this magic happen. And that is Citizen Power with our friends Natalia Ramos and Ben Sheehan. And it is their 10-day course that offers civics education that you missed or or you might have forgotten from high school. You know, you might have been skipping class. You might have been eating Chipotle. I mean, that's what I was doing. So we get it. And this 10-day course is free for the first five days. So before we get into that, let's just get into like what this course is going to give you. And it's not about the facts, not about the dates. This isn't just like a memorization game, which don't get me wrong. Like everyone loves a good Jeopardy moment, but that's not what this is about. It's about giving you back your power as a citizen to move forward the issues you really care about. So by taking this course, you'll learn what you should be taught in a civics class, but honestly, as in. So your rights and your powers as a citizen, which sounds pretty basic, but a lot of us don't know them. How you can have the most influence over your elected representatives, real actionable steps you can take to influence policy, and honestly, the confidence and conviction to contribute to the future of democracy. So there are a lot of takeaways that are a part of this course, and they honestly make you the CEO of your elected officials, which you are, by the way, FYI, in case you missed it. So it's time to make sure your voice is heard, time to dive in, time to have a little education moment. So head to the link in our episode description to start this awesome civics class. And like we said, get the first five days free by using our link shared there get rocking get rolling get learning so do you need stress relief sleep support recovery mood boosters or how about the best of all honestly some new incredible skincare prima has recently been selected as one of sephora's 10 brands that meet their rigorous clean standards by priding themselves on sustainable farming practices, being carbon neutral, being 100% clean with, with strict safety standards. Plus for every product sold, Prima removes twice as much plastic waste from the environment. And Prima gives 1% annually to nonprofit organizations and is a certified B Corp. So quite literally all of the reasons why We wanted to partner with Prima, bring them all to you, and of course, like buy their incredible products. And so Prima, as as you might know by now, perhaps, maybe, has amazing doctor-formulated, clinically validated, high-performance CBD products for the skin, body, and mind, and in just so many forms. So we have CBD supplements to bath bombs, body lotions, body oils, and skincare. Special shout out to my favorite is the Night Magic Night Oil for your face. You know, both Vogue and I swear by it. So that's how you know. But lucky for us, you can also enjoy the relief of the best CBD products out there because Prima is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time 15% off offer with the code GIRLGOV. So head to Prima.co and feel better every day. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. <laughs> because politics needed a rebrand. <laughs> <laughs> oh my literal god. This is our 50th episode. Did you know that? I think I might have known that and I didn't realize it till literally today. I thought today was 49 for some reason. I have a hard time keeping track, but like 50? 50. Are you kidding? 
Like that's actually crazy. Like it's kind of hitting me right now. It's bizarre. I honestly like feel like I won't like really have processed that for like at least another month because I'm such a delayed processor. But like that's like <laughs> genuinely bizarre. Like in the that's best super way. Crazy. Like literally last summer at this time, we were pulling together what we were going to do about this podcast, how we were going to structure it, whatever. But like yeah. had not like we did not fully have a podcast yet, you know? Like, it was all in the no. works. And then now here we are, like, a year later, and we have a freaking podcast that hit 50 episodes. Like... That went viral. Like... That was charting with all the CNN podcasts. Like, who are we? Unsure. But, like, if we got to change our names in any of these situations, I would just like to say that... Wait, what? What's happening? You want a stage name? Oh, I totally want a stage name. Okay, hold on. I obviously... You should have decided this before we started a podcast and put our voices out into the public. Well, yes, (laughs) but you know what? I just realized that all of my stage names... I thought I had a stage names list, but I only have a baby names list. I have a big baby names list. I'm surprised you have a baby names list. I know, given how, like, (laughs) not not into kids I am, I know it's surprising. But, like, you know what? you got to be prepared to be chic, right? And, like, I end up having kids at some point. I do not want them to have standard names, like, very, like, typical. Like, you go into a gift shop and you can, like, find their name on a postcard. Like, I don't want that. I'm not signing up. Mm -hmm. Like, I want everyone to be like, excuse me, this is the one and only of this name that I know. I mean, probably not, but you know, at least a little bit more. Yeah, I'm not sure about about this one, but I mean, I don't know. But it is crazy back to this like 50th episode situation. Yeah, I mean, we have like a few more weeks and then it'll be like our year that we've been doing this podcast. We've just been like hitting all of these milestones. We had our DM anniversary back in July. Honestly, also just feels like so long ago. Like I was like living at home still quarantining when we first connected. I mean, I was dating a ginger, so it was just an entirely different era for us all. (laughs) Truly, truly, truly. Well, there's other really exciting news because we have your new governor got sworn in today. And that makes her nine women now serving as governors in the U.S., which is tying a record for our nation's history. But big moment. How do you feel, Um, Madam Governor? I feel fantastic about it. I'm really excited to see how she runs the position, runs like literally runs New York. I am excited because also so many leadership positions right now in New York state government are held by women. So seeing sort of that coalition come together and where that lands really interests me. I think obviously day one, too early to see what what anything is, give any like tried and true opinions, obviously in the weeks to come. We'll see what rolls out and everything, but just even symbolically, I think it's really cool and really exciting to have her in, you know, the governor's mansion. I don't know if she has any pets or not. This is something I should look into because we've seen the trauma and the drama of Cuomo and his dog the last 24 hours, which... I didn't know about this. Oh, well, there's conflicting reports. So, you know, everyone bear with me of, you know, what what's out there because who knows quite exactly what the truth is on this but there were rumors going around that he had abandoned his dog he was trying to like give him off to like staffers other people and stop it granted this cute yeah but then there his camp came back and was like are you kidding me no like we like in this like crazy like transition time we're trying to have some like babysit him Like, it wasn't like we were giving him up or abandoning the dog. Like, this is, like, press fodder or whatever. So I genuinely, I have no idea what the real story is. If this is true, I can't wait to see that man in bars. Like, that's the final straw for me. Yeah, it really puts it over. It was already over the edge, but it just, it... It really nails. Nail in the coffin kind of vibe, for sure. Totally. So we hope Um, it's not true, because obviously... Yeah, we'll, we'll keep everyone updated. Yeah, we'll yeah. give an update on that. It's very interesting. But I mean... Milestone. Some kind of stats, too. Milestone. So, 19 states still have never 
been led by a woman. And that actually is including yours truly, California, Florida, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and more. But 19 more states, guys. Let's do it. Have some work to do. Well, let's introduce our guest today. We have Claudia Zapata on today. She is a congressional candidate in Texas, and she's going to go over her platform and really all the drama and all the tea that's happening in Texas right now. So incredible interview ahead and let's really let's just get right into it without further ado here's claudia all right so right now i am lucky enough to live in central texas the rest of texas is not so lucky by any means (laughs) i live within a very blue area a fun fact is the uh, district that i'm running for for Congress in TX35 actually voted largely in favor of Bernie Sanders for president, more so than, than Joe Biden during the primary. So it's actually a very, very progressive area. And I think that that's really the case with a lot of Texans and a lot of people living here in the rural parts. But we are just so oppressed and our voting rights are suppressed at every turn imaginable it is absolutely insane because not only was is voters rights under under attack but we have construction workers rights under attack there is a bill uh, that was presented to try to take away water breaks from construction workers here in Texas. We had trans students rights under attacks as well by wanting to do away with their care and by denying them care after their transition services or for their transition. We also had SB8, which is the anti-abortion law, which it may very likely go into effect, which is very sad because it bans abortions after six weeks, even like medically induced ones with like the pill. So it's it's a very scary place. All of this being said, to kind of give reason and to help explain why it is that I'm running. So I'm born and raised within this, within Central Texas. My parents divorced when I was young and my dad has always lived in Central Texas. I have tons of family here. But I also grew up on the border in Mission, Texas, which is like shout out to my 956ers. But it definitely growing up and seeing kind of the the differences between class and race have like this large effect on your outcomes and your possibilities and opportunities in life really affected me at a very young age to where I immediately noticed like this difference and this large inequality that existed. I know that I I live in, in a district that is democratic. So yes, currently as the districts are drawn, I am primarying another Democrat. And my reasoning for that is because my opponent has been in Congress since 1995 which was one year after I was born. And he has been my representative my entire life. Even when I lived in South Texas, he has been my representative my entire life. Yet I have not seen him or felt any sort of benefits from any legislation that he himself has authored. And the way that I see the role of a congressperson is I see them as a middleman. I don't see Congress people as leaders, as the ones who have all of the answers um, and solutions to these problems, no. However, what they do do is they're elected by these community activists, by these organizers, by these nonprofits and NGOs within their districts who choose them to represent, right? Like you're just a middleman. You're just merely loud megaphone for your constituents and for your community activists and organizers down on the ground. And so I just feel that the current incumbent has not done that, does Mm -hmm. not do that In, in over 20 years of of serving in Congress. He's only written four policies, authored only four policies that have direct impact on his constituents and in the majority of his constituents. I say this because he is very, very vocal about healthcare, which is important, but not really much about anything else. And 
the fact is that the majority of the district is is under the age of 40. In the 2010 census report, 63% of the district was under the age of 40. And I suspect that number has only increased. We don't have the numbers just yet because the census data, preliminary data was just released on August 12th. But it is a very young and very brown district. 64% of the district is also Latino. So why is it that a working class Tejano isn't representing us? I've, I've grown up here. My entire family lives here. I know the struggles of a working class person. I know the struggles of what it means to be under the age of 40 and living in America right now. Um, so I also believe that in order to have solutions, in order to have these creative solutions to these real problems, you had to have lived a pretty messed up life. Like when you have, when you have everything to lose, you start realizing how important it is that you fight for it any way that you can totally. and and i fight for it <laughs> yeah and i mean it's just all like this you know you running and on this platform as well and you know going against an incumbent democrat i think is so important and something we keep talking about as well there's so many incumbent democrats who have been in there for decades like you said who are just so complacent and then they also lose all their like relatability you know, they're mm -hmm. not on the ground with the people seeing the struggles, like being there and living through them. And again, mm -hmm. like you, the point of representation is someone who can understand the people they're representing. And a lot of like what we've come to now is all these incumbents who have been there for decades who just completely have lost touch. So it's just like, how, how are you supposed to fully serve the like people you 1995, represent? like literally Crazy. like before Crazy. I was born. Like, wait, really? Oh, my God, you're in 96. Okay. Okay. Like literally <laughs> like, but that's just like an insane amount of time. I mean, I yeah, like it's... think about what was trending in 1995. Think about what we were wearing. <laughs> like I, my God, like think about that. I was just a just, little oh, egg. No. Yeah. Like that's just absolutely bananas to me that that's the situation it's also like maybe like make a career move dude or or just retire yeah like how about like it, i think there's there's two ways that i look at it one you've done your service right like you you've done your service you've earned your right to retire and to enjoy your life but at the same time isn't it that everything that we do in our lives is to make the world a better place for the younger generation to be able to take hold and run with it, right? And take it even further than we could possibly think. So uh, to me, it just doesn't make sense how you could be in Congress and champion young people, but at the same time, hold on to your spot for the sake of holding on to your spot and not allowing uh, young people to, to, take, to take over, right? Totally. And really give a voice to them. I guess speaking of voices to them, what are some of your core elements of your platform? Like, you're like, oh my gosh, I want the voters to know this about my platform. What is it? So I put together a little acronym for it and my team because it's a I lot easier this. to remember. Sweet, so it's, I call it like keeping it real. So R stands for representation, E stands for education, A stands for accessibility, and L stands for legalization. And Very so cool. every single policy that I have in mind falls under one of those four branches. So for example, in representation, that goes as far as something as big as like voting right to creating an independent uh, commission to redraw uh, district lines all the way down to something as small as doing away with unpaid congressional internships because that's the reason that you don't see a lot of colored representation within these congressional internships education i am my mother was a school teacher for 27 years and that means that i too spent many 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 nights helping her either grade papers 
put together her classroom, print things for her. And I'm talking like late at night. Like sometimes I remember we wouldn't leave until like midnight, 1 a.m. Wow. Just because there was so much stuff to do. So I'm very, very passionate about, about primary education, especially granting universal, like, and not just part day pre-K, but full-time pre-K. I think full-time pre-K really is needed, especially for your working class families because not everyone has the ability to have a job that lets them off at 2.45 p.m., you know, every day to be able to go and pick up your kid. And then you have to worry about childcare costs, right? So a whole slew of there. And then I'm also really passionate about higher education. I'm really, really passionate about non-traditional students and the non-traditional avenues to college and non-traditional avenues besides college. So I believe that one, we should cancel all student debt along with all medical debt, but that's that's another issue in and of itself. I really uh, do believe that we need to start a non-traditional student center within the Department of Education to then start a task force, which would look into finding and nationalizing a like transfer student credit like database in a sense because there is no reason that colleges should be profiting off of students transferring from college to college and and not accepting credits from some institutions and accepting credits from others i transferred three times in my undergrad and that i want to say that my i lost about 62 credits in all of that which to me was insane because i i had started off at nyu then transferred to a private college here in austin and then transferred to the university of texas at austin And UT would not accept my NYU credits, but they did accept credits from the community college here. So to me, that just didn't didn't make much sense. And I I, like I said, I just think it's this huge for profit system that exploits students. Yeah. So doing away with that, I as far as like accessibility, I'm talking about people with disabilities as much as I am talking about accessibility of of opportunities within life, accessibility of being able to start your own business, to really be your own person and, and have your your career that you've always wanted but with the you know with some like federal assistance so i do think that we need to and this is maybe like goes along with like the free britney movement but the conservatorship law really look into that because the abuses that britney has faced are being highlighted because of who she is but this has been going on for far much longer and just because you're you're disabled doesn't mean that you deserve any less bodily autonomy. Right. I think it is absolutely an abuse of power and it is disgusting and we need to fix that. Then at, at the other spectrum of accessibility, like I said, when, when we're talking about jobs, like for example, my uncle has been a truck driver for the last, I don't know how many years and I have another primo who's also a truck driver. And one thing that I've always uh, found interesting is that no matter how long they've been truck drivers for, they cannot save up enough money in order to own their own truck and fully make their own money. And so I was thinking, why isn't there some sort of of federal uh, subsidy program which makes it much more affordable to own a truck, like as a truck driver, but also like receive grants in order to pay for the upkeep of it. During the Texas snowstorm and during all of COVID, it has been nationally recognized how important truck drivers are and how when we don't have truck drivers who are able to to deliver supplies, whether it's food or medical supplies, we all, everything goes to shit. So it's important. So it's like, why isn't there any federal policy to help them? And so like, that's something that I would present. And then when it comes to legalization, sorry, I might be like going- No, no, we absolutely love it. (laughs) I'm a huge policy nerd. Everything that I've ever done in my life is policy research analysis. It's what I love. What I also Um, love, by the way, just like, you know, there's such like real solutions for real problems, but like also so creative and innovative at the same time. And I think that's also the amazing part of like policies. Like you could actually sit here 
and think of these solutions and but it's again you have to like be on the ground and understand these problems like and you have that knowledge it's pretty incredible but sorry oh, well, thank you <laughs> i like i like to think of myself that way i'm like listen like if only our congress people introduced policy i always say strategy yeah. is not an ally to poor folks or people of color in america because people will always talk about political strategy and, oh, well, we need to make sure that, you know, we can't introduce this piece of legislation because we really want to get this one passed first. And if we put out this one, it could create, you know, animosity between ex-rep and ex-senator. And it's just like, who has time? Like, who has yeah. time to play those games? Right. So I, I firmly believe introduce that bill and then mm. see what the hell happens right yeah. but just introduce it like damn yeah and a um, lot of these solutions too like they really you know, it's crazy that a people haven't thought of them but they are <laughs> so needed but also i think a lot of these solutions are so like bipartisan in, in a lot of ways like and that's just, the way that i think yeah. too like and I they're know, not like the so. political like bs <laughs> that we see and i feel like a lot of congressional members like will make bills like for political reasons rather than for actually representing their constituents like they're for political wins and they're not actually to create real solutions for people but these are so no exactly (laughs) i thank you and and then as far as like oh when it comes to legalization that goes for one legalize weed expunge all records Yes. Very, very firmly stand by that. Believe in that. 420 every day. I'm right here with you. <laughs> um, right. I'm like, I condone it. It's, I don't care. Like, that's recorded. That's out there. Like, I, um, I really don't care. I mean, care. No I live shame. in California, so I'm like, yeah, for sure. But I understand Texas. <laughs> you're not quite there yet. So, yeah. Fair. No, I'm like, we're, we may get there. I don't know. Maybe one day. But that I, I believe in that. I believe that we need to create a and people say this all the time but nothing ever happens but create a path for citizenship for for folks that are seeking asylum or for folks that are here within the united states my grandmother trekked over she came over here first i mean she's a citizen now but she came over illegally in the 60s across the rio grande river and she did that actually multiple times while being pregnant at the same time, like with my uncle and with my dad, which this is a very, very deadly journey. Like it is not like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people die trying to do this every year. And she did this multiple times to bring back friends and family here into the United States. And she didn't stop until everyone that she cared for was here. And I think about how hard she like busted her butt working here and how long it took for her to be recognized at, as a citizen. And I just think that is absolutely atrocious. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, for years, she lived in a shack in someone's backyard here in Austin because some woman just, you know, took, took pity on her, let her live in the shack. She lived off of pecans because pecan trees are big here in, in, in Austin. And she would literally just go and collect buckets of pecans from the park. And that's what she would eat for like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all while she was a custodian at the University of Texas at Austin, which that's where she was for like over 45 years. And so to me, it's just absolutely ridiculous that someone so hardworking and that actually like contributes to the society has such a a tough problem being recognized as a citizen Mm -hmm. because a lot is denied to you if you are not a citizen Mm -hmm. and I think that's what people don't understand is it's it's not just oh being able to vote it's like being able to have social security being able to have that safety net being able to apply for like disability if anything were to happen there's just so many uh, other issues that it affects yeah human rights totally yes it's lost on me Mm -hmm. i also think that the we need to be calling out the biden administration for not rescinding title 42 which which was written under trump which basically states that anybody can be turned away at the border because it is a health crisis because they're bringing covid into the united states and that has been something that even the federal health and human services department has said is infactual that there is nothing that points to it that says that that is correct and true yet it's something that like i said even the biden administration 
hasn't undone, but we've been calling for it. And I, I've protested in support of the abolition of ICE. I've seen people um, be deported, like literally like right in front of me, like street yeah. corner, boom, it happens. I, I've seen it because I lived it. And I just think that there's so many atrocities that are happening, not only at our border, when we think about the border crisis, but even here uh, within Central Texas, a, a few years ago, there were ice raids, as people called them. And so there was even a nonprofit that was formed in response to the ice raids. And they started off by, by helping undocumented people with children literally go and get groceries and take their children to and from school because they were scared of driving in fear of being stopped and being deported and taken away from their families. Oh and so we need to do more. And I don't see my current incumbent. I don't see that passion, that heart and that pressure being applied. And I always tell people, I'm like, just because you're a Democrat doesn't mean you're a friend does not mean you're an ally. Mm -hmm. And there is yeah. nothing wrong with me saying that. Doesn't mean that I don't support Democrats. Like I am a Democrat. I'm a very proud Democrat, but no blue is going to do. Because some people say like, yeah. oh, all blue like will do. And I'm just like, no, it doesn't. No, I'm so glad you <laughs> raised that point. I mean, we talk about that all the time. And again, back to even just like the long-term like Democrat incumbent that does nothing. And just sits there and then takes corporate money and is just like a BS representative. It's very valid. And I think we just need more people standing up regardless of party. You know, whether they're in your party or not, you need to stand up and hold people accountable for, you know, making sure they do their job and represent the people. Mm -hmm. but yeah. Which, moving forward. Sam? Speaking of holding representatives accountable, some of the Michigan that's going on, it's kind of the perfect way to dive into our I Have a Stupid Question segment, starting off with what is quorum? So quorum is basically here in the Texas legislature, we have to have at least two thirds attendance in the Texas legislature in order for business to be done. So that means for bills to be read, laws to be passed, committee hearings to, to have, to really mean anything, to do anything substantive. I'm sure that y'all have heard about the fight for voting rights that we are currently, our, our House Dems are currently basically in a nonviolent war with our Governor Greg. They fleed the state in order to avoid quorum and they have continued to successfully avoid quorum even after this second special session has been called. And, and just in layman's terms, that basically means that they left so that way attendance wasn't met, so that way none of the jobs could get done and none of the bills could get read. Yes. Okay, amazing. Thank you. I mean, that's been in the news, especially again, Texas, all of that. It's definitely a confusing word. I'm like, is that even English? But oh, yeah. I, I hate, yeah, no, I, I hate Robert's rules of order. I think it was created by rich white men to keep the mob, aka poor brown people, from being able to participate in politics. So yeah. I, I all absolutely the hate yes i hate it all like, <laughs> it can all go to hell <laughs> i know that's how we're trying yeah we maybe need to make like a so maybe this is a project we take on we make like a little dictionary with just like slang for political terms that are more just relatable that might be on yeah, our next that um, that feels right that feels right <laughs> yeah um okay next question um what is an intent calendar especially in this so, context of like texas and how does it relate to like the bills that are considered and all of that Yes. Yeah, so in order for bills to be heard, so an intent calendar is specific to the Texas Senate. And then you just have like the regular calendar, which is specific to the Texas House. In order for bills to be heard, they have to be placed on the calendar by the Speaker of the House. If a bill is, this is how a lot of bills even die before they're mm -hmm. heard in in committee or just before they're heard by anybody because you can choose to just not put a bill on the calendar. So really that's what it means is that, there, that a date is chosen for a bill to finally be heard, passed down to committee for any action to be taken on it. And if it's not there, then it gets tabled. It gets, yeah, it gets killed before it even has a chance. 
Wow. I mean, talk about a win for the planner community, which I have found on Instagram. So, you know, everyone with their big calendars, that's your moment. That's your political word and term. But okay, one more here. What is a call of the house? So call of the house is a very fancy way of saying basically what Greg Abbott and Texas GOP members have been saying this entire time about arresting every one of the single representatives that has fleed the state and forcing them back into the legislature and locking them up until they get their jobs done. That The call of the house means that the sergeant at arms then has the ability to send out a warrant for the arrest of the representatives and retrieve them back to the Capitol and literally lock the Capitol doors and lock them inside of the hearing room oh until gosh. they get the job done. Um, yeah. <laughs> is that like actually That's some... from someone's nightmare? Because Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine like your boss like being like, you're locked in the office. You're never oh, leaving yeah. until you and, do and your I work. That's why it's been such a, a problem that some Texas Democrats have come back. But maybe that's a later question. Well, no, this is a perfect segue <laughs> because we kind of want to like, let's dive into this topic of what's going on with all of that. I mean, we've seen all the drama unfold um, with Democrats leaving, kind of fleeing to D.C. to prevent this passage on this very restrictive voting law. Um can you kind of shed light on their strategy here and why Democrats did this, but also like what's happening now, what's next in this plan, Mm -hmm. this strategy? Is there hope to potentially actually block this voting restrictive law? I mean, where are we? So I'm going to be very, very, very frank with y'all. I don't know their strategy because I don't even think they have a strategy. I don't think they know their strategy in all honesty. I think that they thought as far as let's flee, let's not reach quorum, and then let's figure out the rest as we go. The only reason I state this is because we, I think it was maybe like a week and a half ago, or maybe it was last week, so much happens. It's like, you know, one (laughs) terrible thing after the other, I lose track of it all, that we had several Texas Democrats come back to Texas, and not only did they return back to Texas, They actually went back to the House floor, which was unknown to the Democratic caucus, which was unknown to all of the other Texas Democrats in D.C. And so the first time that a lot of these a lot of the Democrats in in D.C. were hearing about this was after pictures were posted of these representatives um, on the House floor. And that started its own little war internally amongst the the House Democratic Caucus. They were calling them out and like calling them, I forgot, like scrums or scrams or something. (laughs) I forgot what the word is, but they were like really, really like saying that they betrayed folks and that they were supposed to hold the line and that they're no better than conservatives and that they're giving in to Republican pressure. And the thing is, I think part of me does not know how to feel about it because I also understand that being a state representative is not a full-time job. You only get paid $9,200 a year for being a state representative. And it's like every other year, whenever the legislator is called, it's not a full-time job. Wait, what? What? Really? <laughs> yes, but for for the state of Texas, you the legislator con- reconvenes every other year and it is not a full-time job. You receive a stipend of $9200 every year that there is a legislative session. Other than that, everyone has full-time jobs, which um... is why there are a lot of conflicts of interest within the Texas legislator. I am Sam and I shots around the floor. You said like two, you were like $9,200. I don't know. I thought that was like a $92,000 salary or something. I was like, wait, oh no, $9,200. This is why money talks in in Texas politics. Oh my God. Because because the state does not even pay their, the the state does not even pay themselves enough to give it to give a flying F about their own constituents. And so this is why you see a lot of corporate and dark money being taken 
because who else is paying them, right? Like right. for all the BS that they have to put up with, yeah. they don't get paid enough. Yeah. That well, is such um, a disincentive to yeah. do it. Like not that like, obviously you should want to go into public service for like, I feel like I sound like The Bachelor, but like the right reasons or whatever. <laughs> but like you still obviously want to be compensated for your time and your effort when it really does become more of like, you know, it's a full-time job. I feel like if you're in politics, like, especially now in this age with social media and everything, like your DMs are always open. Your lines of communication are always there. So like, it's like a lot more well, like also, yeah. I mean, you raised this point. It's so important, especially in the context of this issue of like fleeing the state. You have the governor like threatening arrests and shit. Like, if you're not being paid and that's not your full-time job, why would you really risk all of that? I mean, I get exactly. it. Like, it is like, it, this is... Bo- it's like weird because it's existential. It's voting. It's like, it's a very huge issue and it packs so many people's lives. So that is such like a rock and hard place situation of like, mm-hmm. you know, how I'm going to take this personal kind of liability for this bigger cause, but that I'm also not really getting much or, you know, there's so much at risk for these legislators. Yeah, which is why I said it was hard for me to yeah. really jump on and attack the right. some members of the Democratic caucus no, because sense. of that. Because I'm just like, listen, one of them that returned was actually... Uh, Representative Talarico, who literally is, it's his first year being in the Texas legislature. I believe he's the youngest Texas legislator to to serve like in the history of Texas. And he was a teacher prior to this. And I'm like, my mama being a teacher for 27 years, I know what they make. So I know that, listen, at some point, you're going to start running out of funds in order to stay in DC. So I get that you have to come back. I, I don't, I understand having to come back. I mean, that However, was already such like a pilgrimage. I mean, I'm sure you also have like your families, like family, exactly. that's your home. Yeah. You're not going to like leave for like months. How long are you just plan to stay? Like that is so exactly. crazy. And, but however, I do believe that it was wrong of them to go back on the house floor. Okay. I yeah. do not think that that part was necessary because there have since been other Dems who have actually shared that they're no longer in D.C., but they are not going back to the Capitol and they are not making their location known. So right now we have, it is absolutely insane. We have Democratic representatives who have gone rogue. And like, we still have meetings, they still have interviews, but just no one knows where they're at. And that is in order to keep them from being put under arrest and taken down to to the Capitol. This is um, literally mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a movie. I mean, it already was mind-blowing. Like, Sam and I covered this story back when it was, all, like, you know, kind of blowing up. But, like, this is more than I'd even, like, thought, wrapped my head around. This is I, – I have no words. I have it no is, words. It is crazy. Like, I think – and it's hard for me because people love to trash on Texas – because of everything that's happening. And I've seen so many posts on Twitter, which is, I think Twitter can be so... (laughs) Problematic. (laughs) Um, It can be a really, yes, it can be a really bad place because it's just everyone is in an echo chamber and everyone's really like quick-witted. But I've seen so many people say like, well, you know, if Texas wants to do that, then, then let's deny, you know, Texans like, you know, rights within the United States and, and they can be their own, they can be their own country if they want to. If they don't want to get vaccinated, then let's deny all Texans medical care. And I'm just like, hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm like, you're not talking about like the millions of voters who are suppressed, right? Like we are trying to vote them out, but I sure as hell know you're not talking about like completely trashing and you're you're throwing under the bus like poor people of color, right? Like you're not you're not doing that, right? So it's I, I know that Texas sucks, but there are so many people worth fighting for here that right just whatever you do please do like and this is not like to y'all but this is just for listeners please do not trash those of us that are all living here please don't categorize us as as all being terrible you know trumpers hard right wing crazy QAnon conservatives because we're not our voices are just so suppressed. Right. And I hope that by sharing the fact that 
we have democratic representatives who are literally in in these rogue holdouts where no one knows where they're at goes to show how much worse it is being a regular citizen oh my god i mean (laughs) this is insane i mean i i can't and i mean even to your point too i mean we saw it last year. We saw Texas literally on its way to flipping blue. So we know like there's tons of people out there fighting their asses off. Um, and clearly we have literally legislators hiding and hiding. Literally. Insane. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm glad you raised that point because yeah. there is a definite battle happening there that's so needed and brave and all all the things. So And I think that is the perfect spot to leave people with that really important message of of course, like figuring out how to support this fight. So you want to give an opportunity for you to plug your campaign. Where can everyone find you, find your website, donate, all that good stuff? As far as like other social media, all of my handles um, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and on TikTok are at Poder con Claudia. So that is P-O-D-E-R con c-o-n and then claudia c-l-a-u-d-i-a and that just means like i'm trying to think of the proper translation but that just means like the kind of like fight alongside claudia fight with claudia and i i'm fairly new to tiktok (laughs) i have been like on on instagram and facebook for a while Twitter, I I go on there because I know I have to, but <laughs> not my favorite place in the entire world. But I actually love TikTok. So we if love you want to follow me on there, I think I'm pretty freaking hilarious. <laughs> so feel free to follow me on TikTok, y'all. Yes, Amazing. love it. Thank you so much. This has been very, very insightful, mind-blowing for sure. So thank you so much for coming on, for sharing your story and explaining all this Texas craziness to us. We appreciate you. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you guys for having me. All right, so let's do top stories. Big news, the House passed $3.5 trillion Biden blueprint after a deal and some lot of scrambling and political games with moderates and progressives in the House. So basically striking a deal with moderates, House Democrat leaders muscled President Joe Biden's multi-trillion dollar budget blueprint over a key hurdle on Tuesday, ending a risky standoff and putting the party's domestic infrastructure agenda back on track. So this bill won in the House 220 to 212. So it was a very tight, tight vote there. And it was the first step towards drafting Biden's $3.5 billion rebuilding plan this fall and the narrow outcome in the face of the stiff Republican opposition showed the power a few voices have to alter the debate and signaled the challenges ahead still threatening to upend President Biden's agenda. So what does that mean? Basically, after a very turbulent 24 hours that brought House proceedings to a complete standstill, Speaker Pelosi told her colleagues before the vote that the legislation represents a federal investment on par with the New Deal and the Great Society. So big deal, big deal here, literally. Pelosi brushed aside the delays. She said that's just part of the legislative process. So basically, tensions had flared as a band of moderate lawmakers threatened to withhold their votes for the $3.5 trillion plan. They were basically demanding that the House first approve the nearly $1 trillion bipartisan package that we've talked about that passed in the Senate recently. In brokering this compromise, Pelosi committed to voting on the bipartisan package no later than September 27th. And Pelosi is also insistent that the two bills move together as a more complete collection of Biden's priorities, and then has this goal of of passing both of these pieces of legislation by October 1st. So basically what this kind of came down to is this kind of battle between moderate and progressive lawmakers in the house so we have this makeup in the house where democrats hold this majority but it's very slim and we have there's like in the democratic dynamic there is kind of this battle between the moderate and progressive congressional members and that's kind of where some of this drama came with before passing this bill but Basically, the drama spilled out during what was supposed to be a quick session as lawmakers returned to work for a few days in August. It showcased the party's differences that threatened to upend Biden's pretty ambitious rebuilding agenda. And then with Republicans fully opposed to the president's big plans, the Democratic leaders have just a few votes to spare. So this really gives like 
any band of lawmakers leverage that can be used to make or break a deal. So if progressive wants something, Democrats still need those progressives on board and just like they need the moderate. So there's going to need to be a lot of compromise within the Democratic Party in the House. So challenging their party's most powerful leaders, nine moderate Democrats signed onto a letter late last week raising their objectives to push ahead with Biden's broader infrastructure proposal without first considering the smaller public works plan that has already passed in the Senate. So their ranks grew as other moderates raised similar concerns and that kind of created the stalemate. But ultimately, they got it done. Pelosi passed this, and we'll keep you updated on, on what's next. But big moves here. Big, big moves. I mean, look, there's just not going to be a day we don't cover this, apparently. And I would just like to make the comment to Pelosi that, like, if this is how the legislative process works, it's not working. That's, like, honestly, like, it should not take, like, this bloody long for critical legislation to pass i'm all for compromise and all that baloney and cheese but like jesus christ this is ridiculous like my god my god i can't i really can't but that aside because we know that could go on for a while we will talk about afghanistan so this this story just honestly keeps going from bad to worse like i don't think there's been an update where i've been like okay all right, we're going to be okay here. This makes sense. It's just not that type of tale. So the Taliban has said that there will be no extensions for the U.S. evacuations in Afghanistan. So this is as of Tuesday. The director of the CIA met with a top leader, top political leader in the Taliban. And this is kind of like as more chaos is unfolding, more Mishigas is, of course, coming out to dry here. So... This chaos is a reaction of the Afghan people from the fear of extreme Taliban rule. So uh, no shock there. Same. Would, of course, have the same reaction, I hope. The chaos has really emerged from the Biden administration's decision to pull U.S. troops out of Afghanistan. And shortly after, just as a refresh, the Taliban took over. The president of Afghanistan fled and the country has been steadily leading itself back into Taliban rule. That sounds a lot more orderly than it really has been, but... That is the general gist. Just again, as refresh the Taliban in the past has implemented incredibly strict rules and regimes such as banning certain streams of entertainment, disallowing women to leave their houses alone, not allowing girls to attend school past the age of 10, public executions, those who commit crimes such as adultery, murder, amputations for those who are convicted of theft and so on. It is beyond. So naturally, UN Human Rights Chief Michelle Bachelet has really added to these concerns and voiced her opinion on this. Tuesday, and she warned that she had credible reports of what are called summary executions and restrictions on women in areas under Taliban control. And she urged the Human Rights Council to take bold and vigorous action to monitor the rights situation. So that's sort of the international perspective from the UN, and at least one opinion. But as of today, as of Tuesday morning, when we are recording this, a Taliban spokesperson said that the U.S. must complete the evacuation of people from Afghanistan by August 31st, the same date that the Biden administration said they would originally withdraw the troops. Conversation around this has been from a push from allies, U.S. allies, and of course, U.S. citizens to push past that deadline, keeping forces there with the idea of continuing evacuations and bringing people to safety. However, that obviously does not seem to be happening because the Taliban has really pushed back on that saying no and has threatened that dire consequences will occur if that deadline is not met. The Taliban has also announced that they will block Afghan nationals from Kabul's airport. And the Taliban state that they created this ban due to the fear of safety of their people, which just seems like another little PR move that doesn't really uh, stand any ground. And basically this strands tens of thousands of people who work with Western governments and organizations. Allies of the United States are further pressing President Biden to extend this and the U.S. involvement in Afghanistan after hearing this news, but as stated before, the Taliban does not want this to happen. In the meantime, in this midst, the United States wants to file many more Afghans and foreign citizens, but the Taliban does not want the United States to do this as they feel they need their skilled citizens at home. Like, I, I can't. Like, I'm not, your concern is, as a terrorist organization is the brain drain? The brain drain. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Like, okay. Like, 
Maybe it's the sure. New York in me, but like I just don't buy that bullshit for a minute. I can't even. I mean, it smells. <laughs> it smells. So, anyways, different reporting on what exactly this rule means for Afghanistan has provided the following. So, one Taliban member said that as long as Afghans have documentation that they can travel abroad and they can moving forward. Again, look, it's just like. Mm, mm, do I believe that? No. There's also a rumor that arose that anyone who can get inside the airport will be flown out abroad, which attracted many Afghan people to go to the airport in search of a flight without any bookings or anything, which made it difficult for those with arrangements to travel. So it's a shit show. It's genuinely a shit show. This is going to continue to evolve. By the time that we release this episode, I can guarantee you that there's, since this keeps changing hour by hour, that there's going to be a ton more updates. However, of course, in this, anything politics has its implications. Um, on a domestic side, talking about Biden's approval rating. Um, and according to The Guardian, President Biden's approval rating in regards to Afghanistan fell to 25%, and his overall approval rating fell below 50% for the first time since he has taken office. This approval also includes the reaction to the rise of Delta variant and positive COVID cases, so just keep that in mind. But regardless, this particular crisis has really taken over the news stream and conversation, and something that's so interesting here is that leaving Afghanistan withdrawing originally was a issue that was had bipartisan support so it's interesting to see too that obviously there are people that are loyal supporters of Biden that are saying oh no Joe like yeah it ain't it it ain't it and I happen to a thousand percent agree on the process in which this was conducted so there's that but yeah I think the frustration is also like this aftermath and the reaction totally is what's frustrating the most to me like again we need to always be like more open-minded when politicians mess up if they react in the correct way and it's just so frustrating that like he couldn't just own it and take accountability well he did and well not really and he's continuing to still push back against what literally everyone is saying and thinking is like the correct kind of approach here. The G7 leaders are all like frustrated with him, his peers, his Democratic peers, Republicans, like organizations, NGOs, like refugee organizations, like everyone's like, dude, like he's still not really complying to like what people need from him now after this mistake has happened. And it's just like, seems like a lot of stubbornness, honestly. Yeah, it's weird. And like, he's made some good points of, like, yes, like, we needed to leave, yada, yada, yada. Totally. Fine. Yeah, I, totally. It's not, like, a, a that thing. It's the execution and so many reports of armed service members saying that they were pointing to issues of getting their translators visas months ago. And yeah. their, uh, like, comrades months ago with these, like, SIV applications and how bureaucratic and messed up and slow this whole thing was. And there's so many articles. Yeah. There's a great one in The Atlantic that I read last night about how insane it is. And, like, if you are not going to be on fight to the death for this, like, you you won't get it and you instill. I mean, like, it's kind of hopeless in a lot of ways. And that's so scary and just such bad policymaking by the U.S. Obviously, some of this stuff starts prior to Biden. Some of this goes from Bush to Mm -hmm. Obama to Trump to him. Like, it's yeah. not an all him thing. It's an America thing as well. To see this like level of like disorganization, chaos, and catastrophe is just like mind numbing. As like this most powerful country in yeah. the world, and this is what we're doing. Like, I- well, yeah, and I feel like usually like when you know something does happen or there is like a crisis, like even back a few months ago when there was like the crisis on the border, like. They act fast and they, like, listen to the people and listen to, like, what how people are feeling about it or at least what people need in those moments and, like, react and, like, do what the people are needing. Yeah. It also doesn't help, like, just to add, like, you know, fuel to this fire. The fact that our VP, who I, you know, still love dearly and all of that, decided to take a little trip to Southeast Asia and hang out in Vietnam in the midst of comparisons to the withdrawal from Vietnam and Afghanistan. You could not have a worse PR moment. I mean, granted, I guess they did not. That's what I'm saying. Receive, like, all of this is bizarre. just not thoughtful. No, it's me as an average citizen can see that. I don't understand how some of the best strategists and intel people in the world can see that personally. But 
this whole thing just really honestly blows my mind. I will say two other things to cap this off before we move on to other stories. One, our guest this coming week is going to run us through her experience in Afghanistan. She served there and she is a anti-war candidate with a lot of credentials in that bucket. So stay tuned for that. She's going to give us some more opinions, some more facts, some more experience to this and some really interesting color to that. Second to that, if you're looking for some resources, some other accounts to really like follow, dive in and like that have like up to the minute situations going on and or organizations to either donate to or have petitions, call your senators, all of that type of stuff. We have a post on our regular Girl on the Gov account at Girl on the Gov that will direct you to all of those. Of course, if you guys also find other resources that are really interesting, feel free to DM them to us, add them in the comments. We are all ears and always looking for more ways to, of course, aid people in getting out and hopefully (laughs) resolving in any way of the situation that we can. So let us know. But we will cap it there. We'll move on to some interesting medical news. Medical news, yeah, because Sam and I both have PhDs. <laughs> Not even close. Okay, no, what we're talking about today is the big news this week that Pfizer's vaccine has received full FDA approval. Ooh. Huge news. I am a Moderna gal, so I'm a little jealous. You know, it just can't be this cool, you know. The Devil Wears Prada meme is so accurate. It's my favorite Where thing. it was, yeah, if you guys haven't seen it, Go to Betcha Sup's Instagram, and it's an incredible political meme for everyone to enjoy. Okay, but on Monday, Pfizer received that FDA approval, and basically what this means and kind of the weight of it is that it really can potentially boost a lot of people's confidence in this vaccine and getting the shot and hopefully allow more people to like make that jump and finally get vaccinated because a reason maybe an excuse for a lot of people to not get the vaccine is because they wanted it to be FDA approved. So getting this approval is is huge in terms of hopefully pushing people people past that finish line and getting more people vaccinated and hopefully on our way to herd immunity. This is also opening the way for universities, companies, and local governments to make vaccinations mandatory. The Pentagon stated that they will begin to enforce workers at the Pentagon um, and the military to receive the vaccine, which is a huge step in making kind of other occupations require the vaccine now that it's federally approved. University of Minnesota and Louisiana State University are now making vaccine a requirement for their students, with some exceptions. I do know that UVA just kicked out like 600 students for not being vaccinated. Oh my god. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a list of like people, universities who are now making that step. But basically also like where we're at, we're 200 million doses have been administered since December. And the FDA has cited months of real world evidence that Serious side effects of this vaccine are extremely rare. And this process with the FDA required a 360,000 page application in search of approval. Can you imagine having to go through 360,000 pages of something? Um, no. I, <laughs> the things, let me just give you a list of things I would rather do. Eating it. Like swallow denim. Swallow, oh my God, I've never even thought about that horror show, but I would absolutely <laughs> do that. Eat an entire jar of mayo. Eat an entire <laughs> bottle of mustard, and I cannot stand mustard. Let's see, swim with sharks. I've done that. Okay, well, you know what? Obviously, you know, the adventurous one of the two of us. You guys now are like let in on that secret. Shocking, I know, it's crazy. Well. But seriously. 360,000 pages. Okay, so this this is also just so telling of how thorough this process is with the FDA. So again, hopefully just giving people more confidence in this process and in the safety and validity of this vaccine. And the other thing with vaccines actually and how the FDA kind of processes approving them is that they are actually subject to way more medical scrutiny than any other medicinal resource because vaccines are usually administered to mostly healthy people since, again, they're like preventative. So vaccines, again, go under more heavy research, a heavier process. So that's, again, hopefully instilling some more confidence there. So right now, just over half of the population is fully vaccinated, which is not enough 
to be under herd immunity. So many still need to get vaccinated before we kind of get to those steps and that life of normalcy we've been yearning for. Um, And with the Delta variant on the rise and hospitalizations in many states at their absolute limit, the vaccination rate is starting to climb back up, which is hopefully giving some hope as well. And there is significant evidence that those who are not vaccinated have significantly less side effects than someone who is not. In NYC, all teachers and staffers in public schools will be required to be vaccinated and still waiting full approval for children 12 through 15, but it's currently under emergency approval. Moderna has also applied for full approval and Johnson & Johnson are planning to apply toward the end of the year. And the booster shots only approved for those with severely weak immune systems. So booster shots will be approved under the Biden administration for the fall for the rest of the population. But that's where we're at on vaccines. This is huge news. It's going to be really interesting to see kind of what happens with those vaccination rates and such. But that is it for this week, everyone. Those are our top stories. And if you guys, as always, have questions, comments, concerns, slide into our DMs. We want to hear from you. Also, if you want to join our brand ambassador program, we would absolutely love to have you. So if you want to sign up, you can sign up in the link in this episode description. It's also in our link in our bio on Instagram. And you can sign up. We'll set up a call with you and see kind of what you want to get out of the program and hopefully get you in right after. So it's fun. We have an amazing community of amazing young women who are looking to learn more about politics, take action, etc. So come join us. But yeah, I mean, look, that's do what Maddie said. Sign up for the Brand Ambassador Program. And also other things to do. Subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend. Like maybe, you know, look, this is an excuse to slide into someone's DMs you haven't chatted with in a while. Be like, hey, just was thinking of you. Found this great podcast. Check out this pod. Boom. Conversation starter. I'm just saying. Could be good. Just try it. But anyways, until next time, we will see you guys next Wednesday. Peace. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.